We don't aim to solve all the world's problems, but we do offer you peace of mind, hope, laughter, and ideas on how you can help improve circumstances and communities. Good change is for you. For us, we take to heart your concerns about anger, injustice, and helplessness, the pain that we each feel, and give you something better to witness, something better to believe in. In many ways, this podcast is the opposite of self-help. It's us help. We draw attention to kindness, to the better angels of our nature. We swap stories that bring smiles, deep breaths, inspiration, and ideas to help us evolve. We introduce you to people who are positively transforming lives, leaders of movements, or everyday heroes who are making change. Good change. Good change highlights the common ground we share, the unlimited positive impact of a single person, and the greater good. Welcome to Good Change, a podcast about making a world of difference. Please welcome your host and good change maker, Ken Streeter. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Change podcast. This episode is especially important for you to listen or to watch because with us today is Shannon Keith, the founder and CEO of Sudara. Shannon, through this company and a nonprofit organization since 2005, has been helping women that are at most vulnerable levels in their life throughout the world, but in particularly India. And as we know from the headlines, India right now is suffering from the ravages of COVID, particularly in the rural communities. And that's where Shannon is, do is doing her work through her company, Sodara. Sidara. So Shannon, welcome to the show. And we'll get into the history of Sidara and how you came to be in this position. But before we do that, I want people to hear right away what we can do to affect good change literally today. Thank you so much, Ken, um, for having me and to the good change community for listening and being responsive. As, as you mentioned, I think we're all aware if we're watching the news that the headlines day in and day out are showing the destruction and the ravages um, of COVID on India, in particular with this second wave that's hitting them um, unlike anything they saw last year. And with uh, new strains coming, their infrastructure and their medical community is literally collapsing under the weight because it is a land of 1.3 billion people. And so, you know, that's three to four times the population of the US and without the infrastructure to serve, um, to serve their citizens really. And so it is so, it's hard for me to even put into words, Ken, the, the level of despair that's happening there right now. And it's, it's particularly hard because we're all tired and have been through crisis ourselves and are compassion fatigued. And so it's like, really one more thing, like how can it be worse than the last? But yet in this situation, it really is. And unlike, you know, here in the US where we're getting the vaccine, I've been vaccinated both of my shots. I'm really thankful um, for our government and providing that for, for free for me as a citizen, you know, obviously taxpayer dollars subsidizing all of that and whatnot. That's not the case in India. So they've run out of vaccines. Um, there are some kind of in the private hospitals that are, that are a fee for service kind of pay. And it's the equivalent of about 20 US dollars just to get your first shot. And the women and children we serve just simply can't afford that. Um, that's way beyond their means. And so not only is it um, a health crisis, but it's really become uh, quite a humanitarian crisis because so many day laborers and the people, the poorest of the poor, what's called kind of in the development world at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, they're on the brink of um, 
of not knowing if they're going to be able to eat. So just basic uh, food and water needs, you know, so that we don't get into mass starvation also happens um, during crises like these. So we have launched a fundraising campaign along uh, with our partners in India just to get basic needs for food packets. It's $14 um, would serve a family of four for a week with basics like, um, you know, rice and lentils and cooking oil and some tea and sugar. Um, just the basics like dry goods to get them through this hard time, as well as raising money for the vaccines that we talked about that aren't free to the citizens. And we have over 655 single mothers in the programs that we serve um, in India. And again, this is a very vulnerable population because if those moms are to get um, this bad strain of COVID and to die, then those children are left orphaned, which causes a whole cascading, you know, other effects in society. And and whatnot. So these um, underrepresented women and their children, these family units are really who we're focusing on um, with our partners in India. And so we're asking um, for those of you listening who want to get involved to, to donate to our cause and to join us. You could do that at sudara.org. You could give a donation. Um, you could also buy products because as we look at the long view, um, we're not only doing immediate crisis needs, but we need to keep women employed when they can be um, working and by selling and buying Sudara products, you help keep women employed for the long term so that they cannot um, be reliant on crisis funding for the long game and that they will once again be able to support their families. And so um, Mother's Day is right around the corner. So if you haven't um, bought gifts, we, we at Sudara, we like to say we're um, moms on a mission for the month of May. And so you can even use those um, gifting dollars to buy your mom instead of flowers, you know, buy her some Sudara goods. And that will also help kind of leverage even more of your dollars for good. So if somebody right now is listening to this or watching this and they say, I really, really want to help, they can go to a link that you can share with us now again. And, yep, and, and that is sudara.org and they will be able to donate right away. And there's a, there's a place right on that website that allows them to, to donate to this cause. Yep. You'll see a banner there. And then also we've had people in our community, even just like yourself in the last 24 hours have seen the need respond. Um, some have started their own, like a, a friend of mine has a birthday next week. Mm -hmm. And so he started a fundraising campaign to like, you know, Facebook makes that really easy. You could do it instead of giving me birthday gifts. His goal is to raise a thousand dollars. Um, for these food and vaccine packets to India for his birthday. So people who would have donated, you know, are doing that. So listeners can also amplify their giving by um, putting the word out to their friends on their social media platforms and, and they could, you know, double their dollars that way too. So I, I normally don't like these, these analogies or these cliches, but if at $14 feeding a family for a week, if you multiply that times four, you're at 60 some dollars. If you look at a cup of coffee a day, if you buy a cup of coffee a day and you can do without that from here on out for the rest, for, for all of May, as an example, right? you can feed a family of four for a month for, for not buying that $2 or so, $2.50 cup of coffee. Yeah. And maybe making it at home instead Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of getting the $5 cup. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, this is a complex issue, but in terms of the giving side, it can be that simple, right? And yep. sometimes, oh, that sounds too good to be true. The beauty of working with um, a smaller organization like ours that has direct hands and people on the ground is that money gets to them very quickly. So for instance, we just launched this campaign um, 
you know, about 20, 36 hours ago, I guess now. And, and in the first day we raised over $35,000 and that money will go directly to them immediately. Unlike going to large scale, the Red Cross or something, you know, there's a lot of layers where that has to trickle down to actually get onto the ground. Um, here it happens pretty fast, like at the speed of a wire. So that's the that's the transparency piece that we know exactly where those $14 are going. Um, and, and it's going to life-saving measures um, to help women and children eat and survive this crisis. Because you already have that network built in as a result of your charitable work and as the result of Sudara, the company itself. Yeah. We're talking about literally within a day or two, theoretically, if somebody gives money that yeah, exactly. there, there can be food on a, on a distraught family's table. Yes, absolutely. And these food packets distributed. Um, right. And that's really speaks to the amazing partnerships that we've developed over 16 years being in country. So when you talk about, you know, we launched in, in 2005. And so it takes a long time to build those trusted relationships. Um, but in moments like this, we can really leverage our amazing and generous um, suit our community and conscious consumers out there who sometimes feel helpless, you know, to do something like this in time of crisis. It's like, oh, what do I do? Do I just send money to the Red Cross or whatever, mm -hmm. which is, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. Um, but there are smaller organizations like ours who could be pretty nimble and a lot quicker. Um, and we're serving this specific population of vulnerable single moms. Um, and, and that's our focus. And, and I think that's sometimes a barrier to folks becoming involved is that they think it's too big of a problem for me to help with. It'll be too late by the time my money gets there. Yeah. All kinds of, of legitimate reasons to, to ponder whether or not your giving will matter. But in this case, we're talking about, again, immediate benefit, immediate change to people that are desperate. And, and Ken, you're... 100% spot on. And this is really where charity does its best work, mm -hmm. right? I think sometimes in, um, in our country specifically, because the U.S. is still one of the most giving and generous um, countries on the planet, but charity shouldn't last forever. It should be for a pretty short amount of time during crisis. And this is one of those times. Yep. And then after that, we move into the development work of really, okay, restoration, long-term development. And that's where Sudara really has been building its muscles over the last you know, 16 years is to say, hey, we're not always in crisis. How do we help people help themselves? We give them opportunities and that's, that's really what we're good at. But we have the nonprofit arm that can work and, and really you know, kind of put the first things first and what's most important. And right now it is donations and, and that charity that is um, on point during crisis. So and tell us a little bit about, about that, that you're, you're a social enterprise, you have developed these networks, you have relationships with dozens, if not hundreds of people in India, maybe thousands, if you expand that network out. You came to this now crisis and this charitable position as a result of really creating some infrastructure that changed lives and continues to have the potential to change lives through your company where you manufacture, manufacture leisure clothing or sleepwear. And tell us about who it is that's making it and, and how this connection all came about. Yeah, thank you. A little bit of history and context, I think, would probably be yeah. uh, important for the Good Change community. And it really, um, you know, I kind of fell into social entrepreneurship. Uh, that wasn't really a term at the time in, in 20 or 2005. 
And um, my husband and I took a trip to India and we were doing a little bit more kind of um, charity humanitarian work around freshwater wells and working with an organization um, that was working in that space, as well as doing some other some other good works. And our water well um, got matched with this, what was called a brothel community. And we're like, what's mm -hmm. a brothel community? And then come to find out that that's fairly prevalent in India and kind of culturally accepted um, that there's a whole cast of like women and children that are either born or sold into brothels without really any way to better their lives or situation without some level of intervention, which often doesn't come. So you so can by, generations so of... That's, that's, that's my question. So by matter of birthright, or in this case, lack of birthright, because right. you're, you're born without certain rights, exactly. you are cast into this cast. Yep. And, and that's maybe where you would stay for your entire life, brothel worker or whatever, whatever else might be where yep. you're labeled or put. And you saw that firsthand with this well project. Yes. And was completely uh, naively thinking that like, oh, this looks like slavery, but I thought slavery was abolished. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I was in my twenties, just like not being able, I was like, this is the year 2005 and we have modern day slavery. Like, how is this even possible? How have I not heard about this crime against humanity? You know, like how, how is this possible? So um, as I dug into it further, learned a lot about the caste system and what was going on and what are the factors that make these women and children so vulnerable and so oppressed um, through no uh, wrongdoing of their own, except, you know, that they were born into the wrong family situation, whatever. Mm. And so um, I really thought, well, if these women don't want to sell their bodies against their will, which is basically rape for hire, um, what are they going to do? Like now they have fouls, mouths to feed. They have children that were born out of this situation because again, like condom use isn't that prevalent and whatnot. And so you could see how, you know, one problem kind of perpetuates more. And now these children are being uneducated because public education in India is not free and the mm -hmm. moms can't afford to send their kids. And so now you have generations of illiterate children being born into this situation. And so you can see kind of the vicious cycle of oppression and poverty um, that has, you know, been there for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And so um, it really, for me, was all about economic empowerment for women. Like at the end of the day, they need a lot of things, but they need a way to support themselves and their children um, without having to sell their body if that's not what they want to do. And so this um, pajamas and loungewear just kind of flashed into my mind. I'd say it was a divine flash of inspiration because they were all wearing these beautiful Indian saris. So the material and the textiles of India are just gorgeous. But I was like, oh, as an American, you know, we're not going to wear that kind of uniform day in and day out. But what could we do something very practical with that beautiful material? Um, and I didn't have a background in fashion or design, and I didn't really want to get into that. That's a pretty cutthroat kind of dirty business like high fashion. So it was really about just a very ubiquitous, um, easy product that I felt like everyone owned and loved that could be made out of this beautiful material. And that's where kind of pajamas and loungewear was born. It really did start just with pajamas. And then it kind of morphed into our, um, our consumers and through their feedback was like, these textiles are so beautiful. I, I don't want to just keep them in home. I want to wear them out of the house. Why don't you put pockets in them? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? You know, and, and really were the driving force behind making sure that they weren't just pajamas that stayed behind closed doors, but that they were really loungewear and resort wear so that it could be worn out and about and on vacation. They're great travel pants, um, very versatile 
products that stay in people's closets and out of the landfills um, because we as a certified benefit corporation we do put people and planet on par with profits so we like to take care of the planet as well and um traditional fashion uh, and fast fashion particularly is one of the one of the worst <laughs> um, at at filling up the landfills and, and not being so kind to the planet and so we're really part of the slow fashion movement that's committed um, to good products as well as, as helping people. So you're, you're in India, you see the, just the despair yeah. of, of women that are born into prostitution and uh, you figure out, let's, let's do something with apparel yep. and you come back to home uh, and, yep. and then work at this as an idea for a little while and then turn it into a business that I'm guessing was bankrolled by nickels and dimes out of your pocket. Because <laughs> yeah, bootstrapping, as they yeah, say. I mean, yeah. my husband and I using our own savings. Um, we did start uh, after a while where we were kind of as a nonprofit. So then we were able to get some donors to pitch in some dollars to help with some of the programmatic expenses in India. But you're exactly right. Uh, nickels and dimes and, and some personal savings. <laughs> So it's possible then to build something that is sociologically valuable, environmentally concerned, and job creating for people truly in need with very little money, provided that you have what? What did you bring to it that other people that may have an idea to do something like this didn't have, but you do? I think other people have it as well. Um, and for me, it's tenacity. I mean, it's all about grit and saying, this is the right thing to do regardless. And we're going to figure out a way to get it done. So there's going to be obstacles. Um, you know, maybe the numbers don't work great. That doesn't mean they can't work. So what do we have to do to iterate to make sure they do work? <laughs> because at the end of the day, I am probably stubborn um, and completely singular focused on the mission. Everything we do is a, with a lens to the mission. How do we help more women? How does this empower women? How do we help women help them? themselves because they're strong and amazing and resilient. They don't lack intelligence. They lack opportunity. How do we partner with them so that they can pull themselves out of poverty? That's true dignity. And that's true empowerment um, from, from Sudara's perspective. And, and in the last few years, you've traveled back to India, I'm guessing a handful of times. And what are you seeing as the result of your tenacity, your grit, your absolute anchoring to people needing to have dignity. I see that along with our partners, right? Because this definitely isn't, um, you know, we do everything in partnership. So in collaboration with our partners, I'm seeing lives being transformed. I'm seeing generations of slavery being broken. Wow. I'm seeing women this is like, it always moves me, you know, so deeply uh, every time I think about it, but there's been multiple occasions where women in our um, training programs. So um, just to clear things up real quick, can uh, we don't only provide seamstress jobs, right? So the jobs and the revenues that get kicked off from people buying our amazing products, um, those subsidize a training program that's over like 10 to 12 different vocations. Hmm. So with our partner in India, they're on a trimester system. So like 400 women per trimester. So that's about 1,200 women a year. 
get trained across the spectrum of 10 to 12 job options and they get to choose what they want to do because not every woman out of the brothel wants to be a seamstress, right? So a small percentage do love textiles and fashion and seamstress, great, then they would make our products. So that's a small swath of jobs. But there are all these other jobs they could do. They could do, um, you know, henna art. They could do beautician school, depending on their level of um, education and literacy and aptitude, they could go on and do more advanced things like um, some of the trades, you know, woodworking, um, being a plumber, uh, a mechanic, doing desktop suite, like computer type skills. So it really depends on where they fall on the spectrum. Um, and so there have been various women who have come back after they were placed in a job in, within the city. And now they're getting paid a real job, a real salary, a living wage that have come back again out of their first paycheck and donated a hundred percent of their first paycheck back into the program Wow! because they've come back to our leaders in India and said, I can't thank you enough. This has literally changed my life. And I want you to take this as a small token so that you can help so many other women experience the freedom and the new life that I'm experiencing. That is the, level of transformation that we're seeing happen. That's amazing. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I did some research for a book, a book I wrote a few years ago. And what is, what was a, a, an astounding statistic to me was that people that are not of the greatest financial means are generally better donators on a percentage of income basis than those who are. And Absolutely. what you're describing is somebody just wanting to give back something to some form in any form possible that they were given the hand up leads to somebody else providing a hand up. Yeah, it was, I mean, I've been so humbled and you're right. I've heard some of that research before and I was really um, astounded actually um, by, by that, you know, cause you just assume, oh, if people don't have much to give, well, we wouldn't, wouldn't expect them to give. And yet that's counterintuitive and just the opposite. So people, um, I think realizing that they have needs and they're so on the brink of being without that they they will readily share um, mm -hmm. what little they have with others. It's really important and humbling, but yeah, that's what we're seeing. When you invest in women, there's so much research out there that shows they invest back into their children and their education and in their communities. So complete communities, and we're seeing this in India, can rise, rise out of poverty. They can bring themselves out of poverty. Um, when you empower women and give them opportunities. And, and so to, to go back to the beginning of the show, there's a couple of different ways that people can save the, 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 the women in certain communities and provide them opportunities uh, in order to lift themselves up. And, and the ripple out effect from that is the community can be reshaped as the result of helping a handful of people. Again, folks, yeah. it's, it's, it's entirely possible for you today to make a change in somebody's life by going to sudara.org and clicking on the link that allows you to donate $64 for a month's worth of food for a family, uh, $10 in order to just give somebody a better opportunity, uh, or $1,000 if you want your money to go a long, long way in a country that is getting hammered with a health crisis. That's way one. Way two is to buy something from Sudara. And uh, Mother's Day, as you mentioned, is just coming up just around the corner. This podcast will air. We're, we're, we're speeding up our timeline on this podcast. We normally air two or three weeks after we tape. 
but this is this one is going to be aired within a matter of days because we want to be able to get the news out there as quickly as possible. So you do have time to buy something from Sudara uh, for Mother's Day or just because you should in order to help this social enterprise. How many people are working at Sudara now, not only um, in country, uh, but also throughout India? Well, it's such a that's such a big question because with, with our partnerships, obviously there's a ripple effect. So our direct, like who's on the Sudara payroll, we're a pretty small and lean team. I think we have about five or six here in the US and just a couple in India. And then our partners, obviously we do these amazing partnerships and, and they have you know hundreds of people on their staff um, and, and within their, um, their reach and network that provide all of the, the different levels of, of skill and job training and placement programs. So getting back to the energy that you bring to it because of the passion, because of the desire to provide dignity to people, are you telling me that the money comes into sudara.org and you've got five or six people on the ground here that are immediately making that turn into food across the, across the ocean? Yeah, because of our partnerships um, with those in India. So we help amplify what they're doing, right? And through leverage, they can buy large amounts, you know, on the on the tons of rice and whatnot, um, because they, we can wield the volume. So for us, it really is just being generous and donating the money. Um, and I would encourage those of us, you know, in the US, you know, we've gotten a vaccine for free. Um, and so would you just think about that piece and just mm -hmm. say, hey, I can pay forward my, my country. Um, and again, through our tax dollars and whatnot has provided this for me. India's, you know, um, the women that we're serving, particularly single moms don't have that opportunity. You know, could you just dig in and give 20 bucks and to pay it forward because yeah. you've got a vaccine and, and how about we help others? Um, yeah, that's the power of collaboration. Yep. So speaking of collaboration, tell us a little bit, you mentioned it a few times about the partnerships in India. Are these actual companies or actual nonprofit organizations that are established in country in India, yep. and you've developed relationships with them in order to be as efficient and as powerful as possible? Yes, absolutely. So they are true partnerships. We've, um, you know, through lots of vetting, mm -hmm. um, kind of working with each other on smaller levels as we've built trust and then have worked um, to much greater extents over the years. So again, we've been in India for 16 years, um, developing different partnerships there, just making sure we're really mission aligned, um, that our values completely complement one another, that we have different skill sets that we can bring to the table. So there, there isn't repetitive things going on in huge gaps. Um, so yeah, we have partners that are Indian entities um, because we have a huge value on that ever being kind of like a neo-colonial type of organization. So as an American-based nonprofit or company, I don't need to go in and like tell friends in India what they should do in their own country and how they should do things. Like, I don't need to do that. Right. So um, I need to go and find partners who are, who are doing amazing work and see what help that they might need so that they could do that work even better within their own communities. So that has been the approach of Sudara all along. How can we amplify and lift up and, and partner with amazing groups doing good work on the ground it, for populations that we care about, how can we join forces with them and help them to do their work um, to a better or, or greater extent? So, so the, that's what we do. And that's how we view partnership. The, the word empowerment just popped into my head three or four times in that description that you just gave. You're empowering individuals and entities and communities on levels from top to bottom and side to side. And you're doing it in the most 
beautiful manner. And that is by saying we're here to help, but we're not here to tell you exactly how you need to get it done. Absolutely. And thank you for that, um, Ken, because that there, there is a big distinction, you know, between those two things, right? And so that's when we look at partnership. And some people have said, well, why do you have like Sudara sewing centers? And it's like, no, we don't. We don't need to reinvent that wheel. Um, we can't do it as good as they do it in their own country. Why would we do that? Why would I go in and establish a Sudara sewing center? <laughs> I don't need to do that. I would partner with existing sewing centers who are completely mission aligned because that's the value they bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And what we can bring to the table is a market for those goods, right? And we can connect those two. And that's really where synergy happens. I, um, there was a woman I met and I loved her definition of empowerment because you spoke to that a little bit and it requires um for some of us who who kind of had have traditionally held all the power to give some of it away hmm. and that's right? what and that's and that's what's happening here and that's what we're doing intentionally we're saying sure i could do x y and z because we have the money and the purse strings and whatever and i'm choosing not to i'm choosing to give my power away because that's what empowerment looks like. And that's what we want it to look like. And the flip side to that is those that have long abused their power in India are being called to task as the result of your work there. And, and not necessarily in a punitive or condescending way, although I'm sure there have been plenty of times I'm guessing where you felt <laughs> like being like that, but you're just effecting change by creating more positive opportunities. Yes, exactly. And I think we can all understand even, you know, within the context of our own country and all the uh, political like division that's going on and abusive powers, you know, conversations that we're having of what that looks like. And you're spot on. It is about um, creating opportunities for people to help themselves. And when you, and when you give oppressed people resources and opportunities, guess what? They take them yeah, right. <laughs> and they do amazing things. Right. And, um, and, and that can change the world and, and put us all, I think, in just such a much better place. And I'm just heartened. It's been a lot of hard work. It continues to be, but I'm heartened by folks like you in the community that are wanting to um, use their platform and their power to say, hey, we can do this, we can empower others, right? And that's what it takes, that collective conscious, um, not only having kind of a cognitive awakening, but like the will to then take action, mm -hmm. right? It's, be it's beyond just a cerebral acknowledgement. It really requires taking a step of action. Right. Well, compassion by definition is not an action. It is a feeling. And right. so in order to make compassion come to life, you need to do something with that feeling. And here's an opportunity again to do that. And I, I'm just envisioning if, if my sister as a single mom were not able to work, um, not sure of their future and scared to death to, to step outside of your home because you're afraid of contracting a life-threatening illness, and on top of that, to not have any food to put on your table tomorrow, just how paralyzing that would feel and how desperate you would feel. And from the time you started in 2005 till today, you've shifted, you've, you've empowered women, you've shifted that, that paralyzing fear. And, and yet here we are again, as no fault out of no fault to any of these people, uh, with them desperate. And so again, I, I don't want to beat the dead horse here, folks, but 
if you got some dough, send it to Sadara. It's that simple. Yeah, meeting the moment, I think, is really important, right? And and for pretty small potatoes, you know, like you said, it can be 14 bucks. And then however much you've been blessed, you can add zeros to that. Yeah. <laughs> 140, it could be, you know, it could be 14,000. It could be, you know, whatever you want it to be. Um, but knowing that, you know, uh, for a fairly small sacrifice or maybe a big sacrifice, but the, the transformative work doesn't really have a price tag when we're talking about people's lives, right? You can't put a price tag on a human life. Right. And, and so there's the tactical approach. And that's this approach right now is seize the moment, do something today in the form of, of a donation. But then there's the strategic component as well. And that is to support your company in order for this work to continue for generations, for the, for the fallout, the trickle out from the work that you've been doing over the last uh, 15 years as a nonprofit and then as a company. So there's the opportunity to be tactically supportive, and then there's the opportunity to keep your company profitable and providing more diverse opportunities. And I was blown away. I had no idea that in addition to just being in the, in the clothing industry that you're providing these opportunities for people in industries that are as diverse, it sounds like, as they are in this country, and that can align with something that people feel passionate about, because if they don't want to sew clothes and they want to cut hair, you're, you're giving them that opportunity. Yeah. And again, our partners in India have done such a great job. Everything is really outcomes based and, and research tested. And so the way that the vocational skills training programs and, and which vocations, you know, were most prevalent was based on market needs and, um, and living wage opportunities once they graduated. So there was so much research done by our partners going out into the community, into the marketplace and say, where are you under-resourced? Where would you pay, um, you know, us uh, to, to help train people in, in a grade A way, you know, where, where are you lacking um, those human resources that you need and that you're wanting? And so that's really how um, the training programs came to be. So that's why there's an 89% job placement rate. So it's one thing to be trained, but as yeah. we know, a lot of countries have huge unemployment rates. So you can be trained without a job. That's not very helpful. Um, but 89% job placement for the graduates of these programs because the skills training is really good and because the marketplace needs these workers. Brilliant, that's a great formula. Uh, uh, the way that this podcast came about, I think we alluded to it earlier, was I'm, I'm in bed last night, one o'clock in the morning looking at LinkedIn. Okay, don't give me any grief about being on my phone <laughs> while I'm in bed. But I'm looking at LinkedIn and, and Sudara and Shannon pop up and it's a call to action. It's a call to action to send some money if I could. And I immediately, uh, paid through the PayPal device in order to get it to you. Um, and so that again, is, you know, my pleasure. And then I, I went to sleep. I set my phone down, went to sleep and I woke up this morning and I said, doggone it. This is vitally important. What more can we do? I reached out to Shannon. She said, and this is a testament to Shannon and her drive to make things better, make lives in India better. She said, absolutely. Let's jump on a podcast taping right away and help perpetuate this effort. So Shannon, you're, you're, you're an all-star. Yeah. I get choked up when I think about the work that you're doing. I have, I have two 14 year old daughters and I cannot imagine them uh, destined for a life that they wouldn't want to try to create on their own. And so here's a great opportunity, folks, for you to build Sudara's business by buying some, some pajamas or some loungewear and take these other folks out of this immediate crisis. 
Anything you want to add, Shannon, at this point? Oh, thank you so much for that support. Um, and again, Ken, just kudos to you for, um, for having that secondary action. And that's really what I would love to add. Like, can we just all be like Ken <laughs> in this moment? We're sure. Give a few bucks. We are asking shameless plug, not on our behalf, but for humanity. It's really important for these single moms. Um, so give some money for immediate food and vaccines. And then just think in your everyday life, already what you're doing, how can you partner with Sudara? and leverage that for more good. So in Kim's situation, it was a podcast. In your situation, you could be in any business and I guarantee there would be places that we could partner. <laughs> you could be an insurance agent. It's like, oh great, you need to give some, some gifts to, to your star employees. We can do that for you, let's partner together. You know, there's, there's a million different ways. You're in business um, and you need a CSR initiative for corporate social responsibility, great. This is really good on empowering women. It's very important. Your employees and your clients will get behind it. So whatever you're doing, whatever business you're in, um, you're a stay-at-home mom and you have a book club, awesome. We can partner too. You know, there's not one scenario that I can't think of that you couldn't partner with Sudara or someone like us to do more good in the world. And so if we can just start thinking like Ken, be a Ken. <laughs> that would be my advice. Be a Ken. Well, thank you, Shannon. So I, the, the, the phrase came to mind, we're here to help because you, Shannon, are here to help. And, and if we take that to heart today and, and support people that really need help, and if you take that to heart, and as Shannon said, come up with ways that a secondary or a tertiary benefit can be provided to Sudara, and then they can continue their great work, please take action on that. Shannon, you're awesome. Way to rock the world. We're here to help you. Uh, I hope that you get some sleep because it sounds like you got your hands full. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to hear about the success of, the, of this campaign and the, the continued success of your company. Thank you so much. And keep tracking with us. And on behalf of the whole Sudara team and all the women and children in India, we really do thank you from the bottom of you know, our hearts. I'm just kind of the spokesperson, but, but I speak for all of us with just sincere and deep gratitude. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. So folks, if you've been listening to this and you haven't been able to write down exactly what it is that you need to do, please go to the podcast platform of your choosing and look at the show notes and discover that the, the link to Sudara will be in those show notes. Take action. Thanks again, Shannon. We'll hope to talk to you soon. Sounds good. I'll keep you updated. Thanks. With every show, we ask our guests to share a video of them doing something fun. One of their favorite songs, a few lines from a book they enjoyed, or a scene from a great movie. Something that matches their hopes, dreams, and good work. And then we give this to you. Because laughter and beauty soothes, heals, and changes us. You can find and unwrap this gift on any of our social media sites. Thank you for participating in this podcast. Until next time, keep an eye out for change. Good change. And join our movement at KenStreeter.com.